Welcome to the Motivated Life Podcast. I'm Ravi Raman. On today's episode, I'll be interviewing Jim Posner of The Mindful Advantage. Jim is a Wall Street trader turned mindfulness meditation teacher. And he's going to join me to discuss the value of meditation, what mindfulness meditation actually is, and how to do it. And also, we're going to go into quite a bit of depth regarding his career transition. And I'm fascinated with people who make career transitions, and Jim's is one uh, of note, going from an equities trader on Wall Street to being laid off and not doing the thing that I would have imagined he would have done, which is go out and look for another job in finance. Instead, he turned 180 degrees and went on a journey to study mindfulness meditation and eventually become a teacher and now running a business, helping other people lower stress and anxiety through mindfulness meditation. So we just scratched the surface of meditation and what it is and how to do it, but hopefully this will give you a bit of an understanding of the benefits a mindfulness practice can hold. Um, if you are so inclined, you can check out Jim Jim Posner's information where he has uh, various videos talking about mindfulness and also uh, some writing he's done on the topic. He also does uh, workshop and training in person as well. You can find all that information on his website. And regardless, I think his his story of career transition may be insightful to many people who are wondering what their next step in their career is going to be. And perhaps those who have been laid off or are thinking about a bigger change, it might give you some inspiration to uh, think about what you'd really want to do with the next act in your career. With that, I bring you Jim Posner. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Robbie, thank you so much for having me on. Well, by this time in the morning, my guess is you've already meditated for three hours, and uh, and I'm still working on my first cup of coffee, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Such is the uh, the time zone difference, but uh, yeah, not quite three hours, but uh, I like to get in a solid half hour every morning. Oh, so. Okay, yeah. Awesome. Well, how would you describe your current career? And then, of course, I want to spend some time talking about your your journey to what you do now. But how would you describe what you currently do? Sure. So right now, I teach mindfulness meditation. And what that really means is I use mindfulness techniques to teach people how to manage their stress and achieve peak performance. And the way I work is I teach workshops to groups of people at corporations. I've worked with a lot of uh, high-profile schools here in New York City. I've worked with a number of C-suite individuals. I've also worked with some athletic teams on the college level. Uh, So that's what that looks like. And a little bit of the way it works with mindfulness, what it really, mindfulness really means awareness. So I teach people how to bring a higher sense of awareness to their thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And when you can do that, ultimately what happens is instead of your thoughts, feelings, and emotions controlling you, you can actually control your thoughts, feelings, and emotions. 
And if you really just stop and think about that for a moment, I can't really think of a more powerful skill than being able to get control of your thoughts, feelings, and emotions. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as, as we speak further, I'll, I'll get into more of right. how that works. Of right. course. Now you, uh, walk us from, if we were to go back to the beginning and, and look, look at more at your journey, you have a, let me say an unconventional path into what you're doing right now, at least unconventional based on, I would imagine you're a psychologist or a psychiatrist or uh, maybe in a healing profession and you've migrated into mindfulness, but you seem to have come from the uh, diametrically opposed <laughs> point on the career spectrum uh, to where you are now. So tell us a bit about your journey to become the mindfulness meditation teacher you are now. Yeah, sure. It's a good question and one I think uh, a lot of people find is quite interesting and relatable. So in 2003, I was working on Wall Street and I had just kind of switched careers a few years earlier to Wall Street. Uh, so the internet bubble kind of had just burst at that time. And the company I was working at, I would say I was probably one of the last hires. And then when the internet bubble imploded, the layoffs just started to roll on Wall Street. And in 2003, my number came up and I was laid off. Now, interestingly enough, other things going in my life included the fact that my wife was pregnant with our first child. So I just became an anxiety-riddled mess. I couldn't sleep at night. I was just constantly worried about the future. You know, how am I going to get another job? How am I going to pay the bills? Uh, How much more money do I have in the bank before we get kicked to the street? Uh, You know, so I was constantly worried about the future and I was really, quite frankly, pissed off about the past. Uh, Why did I get laid off? Why not the other person? My boss was a fucking jerk. You know, so these were the thoughts that were just, you know, engulfing me and I couldn't sleep. Uh, I really was incapable of thinking clearly, to be quite frank. Um, so, you know, you hear this term all the time to being present. Well, I was incapable of being present again, just constantly worried about the future and ruminating about the past. Um, so what did I do? Well, I did what a lot of other Western men tend to do in these situations. I started to drink quite heavily. It was really the only way I could shut my mind off from all these negative thoughts. Of course, drinking heavily is not a very good solution and only exacerbated the problem. And then, you know, one night I was staring at the ceiling and I just said to myself, I got to do something, uh, something else. So I decided that I was going to go see a psychologist Hmm. who put me in touch with a psychiatrist who uh, prescribed some antidepressants for me. And, you know, that whole process didn't really resonate with me. I know it's a very good solution for a lot of people, but for me, I just felt like it was a Band-Aid, you know, uh, on a... a Did you find that it helped? Did that, working with the psychologist and the medication, did did it help you or did it not? 
it, fully. I would say it softened some of the intensity of the feelings that I was having, and maybe it helped help me sleep a little bit better. But again, I didn't feel like it was really getting to the root of the problem for me. I just felt like this was, you know, again, masking the problem uh, and not, not really helping me. I was still just unable to stop the flow of negative thoughts that I was having. Um, so it, it, it was a really difficult time. And then I started to have panic attacks. So I had one panic attack that was so bad, I had to go to the hospital. I thought I was having a heart attack. And the only good thing that came out of that event was that the emergency room doctor said to me, you know what, 50% of all the people that I see in here every day are here because of an anxiety attack. Hmm. So I walked out of the hospital and I still didn't have any solutions, but I felt a little bit better in the sense that, hey, you know what, I'm not the only one, according to the emergency room doctor, that's going through this. And this is in New York, New York City? This was in New York City, okay. correct. So, you know, again, walked out of there, still didn't have any viable solutions. Here I am trying to get a job, and I know I looked like a mess, you know? I just was somebody that was drinking heavily at night. I w wasn't sleeping well because of all the anxiety. And, uh, you know, the truth is also, I made this whole event all about me. You know, I'm somebody that I had never really had a failure before. And, you know, in my mind, I made this out to be some sort of fail failure mm -hmm. getting laid off. But in retrospect, it had nothing to do with me. You know, Wall Street literally imploded. Mm -hmm. The job that I was doing was called market making, which is basically filling stock orders mm -hmm. electronically. And that whole business model completely changed also. I mean, there were a number of changes, but one of them was, you know, the spreads went from quarters to, to decimals. So when you previously could make 25 cents on a trade, now the spread was, you know, a penny a lot of mm -hmm. times. So the whole business model switched. And again, I beat myself up, made this all about me. I did everything that you shouldn't do when you get laid off. You know, what you should do is call everybody you know and say, let's go have coffee or can I have a conversation with you and let's talk about what I want to do and, you know, how I can move forward. I built this wall around myself and kind of threw myself a pity party, you know. Mm. And again, this was before LinkedIn and social media were, were really uh, cruising along. So, um, you know, I, I just was in this depressed state. So thankfully, after the emergency room incident, a few weeks after that, I met somebody and she said to me, you should try something called mindfulness-based stress reduction meditation. Mm. So, you know, I heard the term meditation and my mind went to this image of some kind of weird guy, you know, sitting on a mountain in robes chanting. Mm. That's what I thought meditation was, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I think a lot of people get that, get that visual when they hear the term meditation. So, you know, I did a little research and made sure I wasn't joining a cult and I decided that, <laughs> you know what, I need to try something. Nothing else that I'm trying is working and um, something has to change. So I 
signed up for this eight-week MBSR course, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Meditation course. And I also decided that, you know what, I'm going all in. So I'm going to do what the teachers say. I'm going to do my homework. I'm going to practice. You know, that's what the homework is, is mm-hmm. you have class once a week and you, know, you have to practice in between. So I went all in and, you know, lo and behold, within a few weeks, I started to really feel a lot better. And uh, after I've completed the course, within, you know, a couple of months, I stopped seeing the psychiatrist and was weaned off of the antidepressants. I, I have never had another panic attack. My, I had my drinking, you know, under control. And I was just feeling a lot better and a lot more confident. So uh, that's how I started down so, the path of meditating. And, and so how m- this was, you said 2003 was the layoff. Yeah. And so when did you first, I guess, get exposed to mindfulness work? Oh, that that was probably in about 2004 or okay. late, late 2003. Okay. Um, yeah. So, you know, then for the longest time, quite frankly, I was this closet meditator. I never mm-hmm. told any of my friends. And, and slowly I started to have conversations with my friends when I'd be kind of in a one-on-one situation with them. I'd say, hey, you know, remember a few years ago when I got laid off, I was, had a really tough time and I've been meditating ever since. And mm-hmm. Without question, every single person I had this conversation with said, tell me more. Last year, I had an anxiety attack, or mm-hmm. I'm going through a reorg at work right now, and I'm petrified that I'm going to lose my job. So the light bulb just started to go off that, you know what, this is something that the world really needs. Mm-hmm. And I also realized that, hey, as Western men, here we are, we all have all these, these feelings that we're internalizing and not talking about. And, um, you know, everybody needs mindfulness and mm-hmm. it's really just a tool. That's all mindfulness is. It, it's, mm-hmm. I look at it as a tool. So I'd love to talk, go a little deeper into what mindfulness is. If you can, absolutely, I guess, paint a picture of what is the, what is, what exactly is the prime, practice there's meditation and then for there's mindfulness and there's mbsr which is mindfulness-based stress reduction so maybe if you can right so just talk about those how they work and the logic behind it absolutely so mindfulness is really another term for awareness mbsr mindfulness-based stress reduction is really a course and a process uh that a man named John Kabat-Zinn, who set up the Center for uh, Mindfulness at the University of Massachusetts, uh, created. So he created this MBSR course. So that's kind of his copywritten, you know, mindfulness course. And it's taught, you know, all over the world now. Mm-hmm. And basically, he started this. He was a, a researcher, I believe, in biophysics or something at MIT. And he was a longtime practitioner of mindfulness. And he thought, you know what, with my research background and analytical background, I I think that there's something physical actually going on in the body and the brain uh, when, you know, due to my meditation, something beneficial. So he kind of went to all these traditional uh, doctors and therapists and said, you know, give me 
your patients that you've been working with that have chronic issues, whether it's pain or anxiety or depression, and they, you haven't been able to see a whole lot of progress with. And I would like to put them through my MBSR course. So mm. he did that, and lo and behold, I think the, the results were something like 80% of the people that had these chronic issues with little uh, or to no results previously went through the MBSR course and started to feel better. So, mm. uh, you know, and, and now the science also shows there's a tremendous amount of science literally coming out every day showing the benefits of MBSR and mindfulness. Mm. And, you know, they do MRIs of, of people before they learn to meditate and after they learn to meditate and parts of the brain that are associated with stress and anxiety mm. actually change uh, in a relatively short period of time also. Right. So I'd love to hear about your, if you can describe, did you have a chance to sit this morning for your meditation? Yes, I did. Okay. Uh, would you mind walking us through what your practice looks like? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so I try to sit every morning mm -hmm. for 30 minutes and my practice really consists of sitting down. It's not in any crazy position. I sit on a chair and the first thing I do is I bring awareness to my breath and I concentrate on breathing into my diaphragm just at a relaxed pace. I also, you know, I, I am sitting with an intention to, to be present with myself. Uh, and then I will bring a little bit of awareness to my, my body and my posture. Uh, and just maybe acknowledge the parts of my body that are providing support for me. So just noting the way my feet feel touching the floor, maybe my hips on the chair, my, uh, my spine supporting my upper body. And then I will just kind of, for lack of a better term, start to just drop into bringing awareness to my thoughts. And quite, quite frankly, when you when I catch my, my thoughts kind of wandering to the future or, you know, worrying about something in the past, I'll start to label the thoughts. And by labeling them, you know, you're kind of bringing them out of the subconscious. And then I'll basically just escort my attention back. So to by the labeling breath. your thoughts, what is that? Is that like saying, okay, I'm just thinking and thinking? Yeah. So, and th this is how you start out. So, mm -hmm. you know, th again, this is very much, much, uh, what you would call a concentration practice to start out. So, uh, when I first sit, I always start with a concentration practice, just concentrating, you know, on awareness of my thoughts. Uh, again, so when I teach, I always tell my story, which I just, um, conveyed a little bit earlier. And the reason is, is it's a really good illustration of what happens mm -hmm. to us. We're, we're human, you know. So the seminal moment in meditation is when you recognize that your mind has kind of gone to worries about the future or ruminations about the past. And you can recognize that and bring that attention back to the present. Mm. And using an anchor such as your breath to, to do that. So label the thought bring my attention back to my breath, rest my awareness on my breath for a while. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, since we're human, our mind will start to wander again, mm -hmm. recognize it again, that it's wandered, label it, 
bring our attention back to our anchor, our breath. I can imagine starters. someone. I can imagine someone listening and thinking, "Huh, that sounds really simple. Is that really all there is to it?" <laughs> right. Well, you know what? The, the practice can certainly. We can take a, a much deeper dive. You know, as as we get further into into a practice, but you know, for starters, that's all there is to it. What we're doing is we're training ourselves to recognize that our mind has gone to useless thoughts or worries about tomorrow or yesterday. So when I was going through my, you know, excuse my French, but when I was going through my shit, when I got laid off, I could not stop my mind. I couldn't stop the ruminations, just the constant worry, the constant negative thoughts. And what was going on? Well, those thoughts were very much on a subconscious level. Uh, and of course, I, of course I know I'm having the thoughts, but I just didn't have this higher level of awareness. Again, going back to how we started the conversation, this higher level of awareness of my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And through the practice, all right, I can recognize that, hey, you know what, here I am, I'm, I'm worried about how I'm going to get another job. Mm. Well, worrying about that really doesn't do any good. So recognize it, label it, bring my attention back to mm. my, uh, my breath. Mm. And listen, the other thing is that we're, part of this is that you want to teach yourself to breathe properly. We've actually kind of unlearned how to breathe. A lot of us take these short fight or flight breaths into the chest. So through this practice, again, I mentioned how you know, it's a concentration practice when we start and when we're first learning. So recognize that your mind has wandered and concentrate on breathing into your belly, into your diaphragm. And there's a lot of science behind that also to the, to the positive effects. So it's, it, it helps relax. It helps, you know, it can lower your blood pressure. It can help with hypertension and and many other things as well. So, you know, just by tending to the breath, you're also nurturing yourself and calming yourself down, Mm -hmm. um, through, again, through practicing, uh, Mm -hmm. again, you mentioned that it sounds easy, but you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it takes practice like, like anything else. And my understanding is there are, uh, meditators and practitioners who for, for an entire lifetime will simply cultivate awareness of the breath as the practice. There really is no need to complicate it further. I I would agree 100% with that. I mean, there are, you know, you can get to this, uh, you can kind of delve into other things and uh, when you get to a point where you you recognize that you're having a thought and you start kind of just start to watch the thoughts from this observer self perspective without mm-hmm. judging the thoughts um, and you know as your practice gets deeper quite frankly you can start to play a little bit mm-hmm. but as one of my teachers said especially if you're having if you're going through a difficult period or something the most important thing is just the concentration mm-hmm. practice. Yeah. So you mentioned teachers. I'd love to hear from you, your experience in working with teachers, because the idea of such a simple thing as mindfulness might lead people to believe that, well, I can just, and I'm sure obviously people can and probably should practice and they could start today if they'd like to. But what have you, who have you practiced with? You don't even have to name names, but I'm just curious your experience working with teachers to deepen your own practice and what you've gotten from 
teachers in the MBSR and meditation world? So my experience working with teachers, and I still work with two in the city, is that I, th- I think it's like a lot of other a lot of other things. In order, you know, I have these weekly or monthly sanghas with the two teachers where they're kind of group meetings and, you know, we've all gone through an MBSR course. Many of us are actually teachers now. And we sit and we meditate and we also discuss, hey, maybe certain blocks that come up at times or certain hindrances that we might be having because this is a process you know i i often say it is it's a practice and a process and i i think it's important to have have a teacher and again i i see my current teachers each one once a month i'm also a member of this uh teaching collaborative which meets once a month so Mm. you know it's it's a it's a means of support uh which i think is very very important. And it, it's also some accountability as well. So mm-hmm. uh, that, that's really all I really would have to say about uh, having a teacher. I, I think it's a little bit similar to having maybe a trainer that you yeah. go to the gym for. You know, it's like you might do the same exercises every day, but it's some accountability or maybe somebody can help you through a difficult yeah. moment or... Uh, a plateau period. It seems to me that there's something powerful about having an objective observer who can see things that I might not be able to due to just being so captivated by my own thinking. And, uh, well, it's obviously I'm biased. I'm a coach, right? <laughs> but I also work with coaches as a coach because right. it's sort of hard to do it's hard to do a surgery on yourself, so to speak. It's hard to see things objectively all the time. And having an objective third party can really, really help. Plus, it can be fun to be part of a group of people doing something um, and moving in the same direction. Now, I, I am really curious if we can roll back in time a little bit. Because in 2003, you were laid off. And you went through some challenges and you discovered mindfulness. But at some point, I mean, I can only imagine every fiber of your being at that point was trying to get back into finance, but you chose a different path. Uh, can we talk a little bit about that career pivot, how it happened, and what, if anything, was the aha moment that led to that change? So, yeah. So, actually, it wasn't quite as linear as you're describing. So, I did get laid off. Uh, I started with my MBSR at the end of 2003 or early 2004, I'm not uh, 100% sure uh, on the timing, but I actually did get another job in finance. So I was working at the New York Mercantile Exchange. And um, so I, I did get another job in finance and I was meditating, you know, this was a time again where I was meditating. I had my own practice Nobody that I was working with at the time knew I had the practice until I had already been there for a few years. And and like I described, I started to kind of slowly tell people, but uh, a select group of people, you know, because I still thought certain people would think that I was 
weird for being a meditator. <laughs> uh, again, I <clears throat> still think it has just the word for whatever reason, you know, sometimes people have this weird image. Um, and then, you know, again, after I started to have these conversations, I, the light bulb went off that, Hey, you know what? A lot of people are, are, are struggling and meditation really helped me. I, I even say it may have saved my life. I, you know, I was in a really, really bad place. And, uh, um, just self-destructive, you know, just drinking way too much and so forth. But, uh, again, when that light bulb went off while I was working again on wall street, I decided that this was the path that I want to take. So what I did was I started to, um, on my non-working hours in the evening, I started to, to do some more work and, uh, and go down the path of becoming a teacher and just, you know, building up my, my uh, credentials and so forth. Mm. So that's, that's really how that worked. Did you have an insight that this was what you wanted to do as a vocation, as a career, or did you simply uh, want to deepen your own understanding of it? And the reason I'm asking is um, I'm sure there are many people out there considering career changes who are listening. Yeah. So yeah, it is, it is what I wanted to do. Um, I decided I wanted to do it. I had conversations with my, with my wife that this is the path I wanted to go down. She was on board. I thought that it would be a viable career going forward. I also felt that the corporate world, the landscape had changed a lot, you know, in the sense that I don't think there's any jobs that are secure in the corporate world. Um, you know, there's mergers and acquisitions uh, all the time and, and headcount changes and rifts and, you know, positions being eliminated. You know, I, I kind of have to laugh because today I think the millennials get so much, so much uh, criticism for jumping ship so quickly. But, you know, I can't blame them because, quite frankly, there's no, there's no loyalty at all from from uh, the big corporations. The days of, you know, our fathers working at some company for 30 or 40 years and retiring and... With pension. With pension and the toaster and the send-off party, or, you know, <laughs> those, that's over. I mean, it's very rare. I, mean, do you, I really don't know. I don't know. So I'm 48. You know, I, I don't know anybody, any of my peers, I really don't, who haven't gone through a layoff mm -hmm. uh, or multiple layoffs and career changes. Mm -hmm. So I, I just felt that going and, you know, staying in the corporate world, mm -hmm. I would, you know, basically I, I have the saying nowadays that the, the first day you're hired is the countdown till the day you're fired now, <laughs> you know, uh, in the court. I know it sounds a little, uh, a little negative, but that's just really the way I feel. And, um, so I, I wanted to do something on my own mm. and quite frankly, again, the stories that I was hearing from friends of mine who I was talking to and opening up to just kind of cemented my thoughts about what I wanted to do. And I, I've, I've, you know, I've had a lot of people tell me that, Hey, you know, if you do this, you're going to be a great ambassador for this. Mm this practice as well. I would say, 
um, you know, I, I, again, I think we kind of talk, we've talked a lot about the stereotypes mm -hmm. of meditators and I hope that that's changing and, you know, I don't know, maybe it's just me that has the stereotype. I don't mm. think so, but you know, I, I don't quite fit the mold of what I think a lot of people think of when they hear the term, <laughs> this guy is, you know, I was, Jim, I was waiting for you to start chanting. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So. Uh, what have you, I'm curious. So for you, um, this is now your full-time gig. You are bringing mindfulness into the world. This is what you're Trying. doing full-time, yeah. right? Yes. Um, what's that been like, building your own business? I'd love to hear a few of the lessons that you've learned in building your own business. Yeah, that's a great question and a good pivot in the conversation, no doubt. Um, it's been hard, and it is hard. And it's been a little more than two years since I started this business. And there's a couple of realizations that I've had. Number one is I was never a salesman in my whole life. All the jobs I've had, I was really never a salesman. Uh, so I am now primarily a salesman and I'm selling myself and my services. So that has been one part of the journey. Another thing that I, quite frankly, I'm basically a public speaker now. I get up in front of groups of people at companies and I teach them how to incorporate mindfulness into their work and their life and how to meditate. And, you know, hey, in the very beginning, I can't say that I was really confident in my facilitation skills. So th that's been another big part of the journey. And heck, I would say even when I first started, I, I have the story, I was dropping my kids off at school and buddy of mine, uh, not so much a real close buddy, but an acquaintance and uh, somebody that's a, a father of, you know, my kids' friends at school. So saw him outside and he's a hedge fund guy. And we explained, ex exchanged pleasantries and how was the summer and this and that. And he's like, so what are you doing now? This and that. And I just had just started my company and I said, you know, I'm teaching mindfulness. And he looked at me tilts his head a little bit and he's like, Oh, uh, what's that? You know? And he kind of always is this kind of goofy smiling guy, happy go lucky. And I just kind of couldn't really explain what it is. And I stammered and stuttered and you could tell again, typical New York city type a hedge fund guy. He just kind of like cut me off in mid stammer, slapped me on the back of, you know, on my back and was like, all right, well, uh, you know, good luck. Uh, I'll, I'll see you around, you know? And, and he kind of trotted off and I just sat there with, you know, stood there with my, my mouth agape and just like, wow, I got to figure out, you know, <laughs> how to, how to convey what my message is and, and what this is really all about. So, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of eye opening moments, uh, you know, learn something new every day, no doubt. And, uh, just, I'm continuing to chug on. So, and we actually connected. You've been active online, you know, embracing the online social media tools and online means of connecting with people. Um, in fact, we we met uh, through, a, I guess you can call it sort of an on, mini online conference you were hosting. Yes, a uh, summit. Right? They think a summit. Okay, um, and so so has that been one of the, I guess, strategies or ways you've been spreading your message and growing your business? 
Yeah, so listen, full disclosure, that was part of a kind of a group coaching program that I had joined. Somebody mentioned I should join. Uh, you know, the goals of that coaching program, I would say, weren't necessarily aligned with exactly what I wanted to do, but mm. uh, I'm nothing disparaging about that because I learned a lot and I've actually, you know, from the time we met and that summit that actually spurred the idea for something I'm doing now, which I'm very passionate about. And that's, uh, it's an interview series called the don't panic project. Mm. And, uh, the mission statement is engaging conversations to help empower, educate and inspire people suffering from stress, anxiety, and depression. Mm. So I'm interviewing as many people as I can, quite frankly. So professionals in the industry, so psychiatrists, psychologists, um, neuroscientists, best-selling authors, meditation experts, happiness experts, just anybody that might be able to provide a solution for people that are struggling with their own issues. And then on the other side of it, I have been interviewing, you know, just interesting people that have struggled with severe anxiety and are now thriving. So I'm trying to, you know, anxiety and depression and stress, and, and they're now thriving. So what worked for you? How did you mm. kind of get through your dark periods? So, you know, I just interviewed Andy Weir, who mm. wrote The Martian, which was turned into a big uh, Hollywood movie. He actually suffered from stress and uh, depression and anxiety for most of his life. Mm. I've interviewed uh, a former U.S. Navy SEAL Team 6 member. Why did I interview him? Well, he's somebody that knows how to deal with stress, you know. Mm. Uh, so I'm just interviewing a lot of people and it's uh, I'm just really trying to create a reference library of interviews and information for people yeah. uh, to be able to access are there a couple common themes that have come from your interviews around uh, I guess things that you've learned that that people have discovered as things that are helpful for them yeah that's a great stress. question I think you're gonna find the answer pretty interesting actually mm -hmm. one theme that comes up a lot, especially amongst professionals and, and even people that have suffered and are, you know, have worked their way through is the idea of practicing gratitude. Uh, so what does that mean? Just when you, it, you can practice gratitude in a number of different ways. You can simply write down three things that you're thankful for every day. You could go through a kind of a self kindness, they call it loving kindness mantra towards yourself and towards others. Um, you can just make a point of kind of smiling at people and being thankful, you know, more often. And there's a lot of science behind this, actually. It really can help you reprogram the way you think. So instead of immediately kind of going to the negative thought process that so many of us tend to do so often when something doesn't seem like it's going your way, you can learn to kind of flip the switch by practicing gratitude. So if you write, write down these three gratitudes every day, or just kind of go through a little loving kindness mantra every day, you're re literally reprogramming your brain. And, you know, going back to the science that I was touching on earlier of mindfulness and how it can change your brain. Well, you know, gratitude practice, what, remember how I said mindfulness is really just awareness. So we're cultivating this higher level of awareness. 
So by practicing gratitude, the second you say to yourself, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to practice gratitude in this, in this moment of you know, stress, you're bringing awareness to the fact that, hey, I'm feeling stressed right now. Let me flip the switch by, by practicing gratitude or uh, being thankful for something or uh, going to a little kind of loving kindness mantra. So uh, it's, it's really powerful. So it's, it's amazing that, I've, you know, in a, in a number of the interviews, it's become one of the primary topics of discussion, I would say. Mm-hmm. I, I even, you know, uh, interviewed uh, an author. Um, his name is Bob Litwin, and uh, the name of the book is escaping me right now. But he works with hedge funds and, uh, you know, top finance people and you know, he, he has them right down. So he has these type A, you know, New York City hedge fund guys, you know, writing down gratitudes uh, on a daily basis to, to help them. It just, you know, it, it helps them basically ground themselves. And so is this live the best story of your life? Yes, it is, actually. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. okay. So practicing gratitude is is one of the major themes here. Are there any other themes that have come up? Well, yeah, I mean, listen, anchoring yourself with, you know, focusing on the breath, it comes up a lot and, and, Mm. and cultivating awareness and learning how to label your feelings and and so forth when when you're talking about mindfulness and and meditation. Okay. Well, I know we, we, we just have a few more minutes, but I would like to pick your brain a bit with your years of practicing mindfulness i'm curious if you can go back to that time in 2003 2004 when you were discovering mindfulness and give yourself a couple pieces of advice uh regarding your practice or it could even be regarding your career change uh what would you what would you tell yourself well listen you know i like this quote by mark twain which says most of the worst things in your life don't actually ever happen to you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's the, it's the stories we tell ourselves, which are quite often never come true. And, you know, I, I, I don't have any regrets about my career choices. Um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm 48. Wall Street was actually one career for me. Prior to that, I was in real estate and owned a construction company. And then, uh, you know, I got bit by the wall street bug. I I don't have any regrets about any of those career choices. And, uh, I, you know, I I think they've all been part of my journey and, and and helped make me, you know, the person I am today, which, uh, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of, uh, you know, it's, it's not easy being in a solopreneur and, and, mm-hmm. and doing this work, but it's rewarding. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, Jim, yeah. I can, I can definitely relate. And I guess to close it out, if someone is interested in learning more about mindfulness, learning more about you and your work, uh, where would they go to learn about mindfulness? I don't know if you have a, a website or a book that was influential in, in your own study and then also to connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Uh, so, 
My website is The Mindful Advantage, so you can also email me, jimposner at themindfuladvantage.com. I've worked with a number, you know, a lot of companies and individuals, as I said, so uh, I would love to speak to anybody who is interested in learning more about how mindfulness can help them or their company. Uh, I also, my interview series is called The Don't Panic Project, so you can go to www.thedontpanicproject.com. You can also see all the conversations on my YouTube channel. Uh, it's Jim Posner. Is the, you can do a search, Jim Posner on YouTube or The Don't Panic Project. And mm -hmm. also a lot of those conversations are available on iTunes. And as far as if you're interested in just starting to investigate mindfulness on your own, as I mentioned earlier, I would recommend reading any books by John Kabat-Zinn. So that's mm. K-A-B-A-T uh, hyphen Z-I-N-N. Wonderful. Well, Jim, I appreciate your coming on the podcast. And uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Ravi. And uh, hey, you know what? This whole journey that I've just been talking about, it's how I met you. And I've actually <laughs> met a lot of really, really great, wonderful smart nice people through through this uh through this journey that i've been on so uh you know i'm grateful for that as well have a great day you too if you enjoyed today's podcast please share it with your friends and even better go ahead and give this podcast a rating using your phone your rating helps other people to discover the podcast if you want to find show notes and links to some of the things we discussed today you can find, that, find all that info at my website, raviraman.com forward slash podcast, and just click on the episode. That's it. I'll see you next time.